to Inside Track from Trustonic. This podcast brings together some of the leading minds from the mobile and automotive security industries to really get under the skin of how those worlds have been shaped, what drives them today, and what we can expect in the future. So please take a listen as we go beyond the headlines with the experts and market makers in their field. Welcome to the latest in our podcast series from Trustonic. My name is Gregory Wade. I'm your host for today's podcast. I am Senior Vice President of Strategic Partnerships and APAC at Trustonic. And today I am joined by Nick Dawson. Nick is with Samsung Electronics based out of Korea. He is the Director and Global B2B Solutions Head for Samsung Electronics. Welcome, Nick. It's great to have you with us on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Greg. Great to chat. Sorry that we can't do these things in person, obviously, as I think people keep repeating. You know, it's good to see you one way or the other. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. It's been some time and it's it's always wonderful to talk with you and, and to get your perspective on what's happening out there in the the big wide world. And in fact, for those who are, are listening in, we're going to cover some really amazing topics today, Nick. We're going to talk about global mobile trends. We're going to talk about partnerships. We're going to talk about markets and possibilities. So the opportunities ahead. And, and it's always good as well to talk a little bit about, and I'm always keen to hear your perspective on the on the future, you know, that crystal ball, mm-hmm. if you will. Why don't we dive in and we'll talk a little bit about your take on global mobile trends. How has this dynamic changed over the past few years in your perspective? And of course, big big area of focus for you is B2B, but I know as well that you have a, a keen sense in terms of what's happening in the B2C environment in mobile. Yeah, you know, of course, I do focus on B2B, uh, enterprise and government business at Samsung. And, you know, that's that's uh, the, the business unit that I'm a part of is, is responsible for. Specifically, I'm responsible for all of our software and services that we provide in support of our, our hardware, for lack of a better way of putting it, business. And that's, you know, that's a significant chunk of Samsung's business. But of course, you know, consumer is huge for us as well. I think if we talk about trends, global mobile trends, first one and it's probably obvious, but maybe it bears repeating is that, you know, mobility is ubiquitous now. Greg, you and I have known each other for, for far longer than either one of us would like to admit and worked a lot together over the years and worked for the same company at some point. You know, we both remember when you know, what we call mobility today was new. It was exciting and it was different and it was completely disruptive to so many industries and to our lives in general. It's ubiquitous now. It's generic. It's it's mm-hmm. it's everywhere you go and it's expected from people. I think a trend that, you know, certainly started emerging several years ago and has at some point really sort of coalesced probably more like two, three years ago and continues to evolve is the user experience in mobility. I mean, if we go back to the very early days when we were doing some fairly basic things, getting your email on a device as you were roaming around was magic. Now, all of a sudden, you know, you can do anything. Listen, my phone is more powerful than my laptop computer. It has more storage, more this, more that, more everything, better camera, better everything. And we we expect this sort of more user-friendly experience on the device. And I think that's one of the things that's coalesced over the last few years. And I think as a whole, the industry has done a decent job. And when I look at it from a B2B perspective, it's bringing that customer-centric UX to mobility where things are easy. They're simple, they're useful, they can be a delight to use as opposed to complex and weird and, and, and annoying. The other trend that we're seeing right now is some completely new form factors emerging. And I'm not just talking about phones that come in different shapes and some of them fold up and foldable screens and stuff, although that's very, very interesting and keep an eye on that space. But computing devices that don't look or feel like anything that we've seen before. And we're going to see that trend continue to evolve. The reality is 
we could make a mobile phone in the shape of a belt buckle or a shoe if we wanted to and just propagate somehow to a screen. I'm not saying that's on anyone's roadmap, obviously, yes, to do that. Right, but, right. you know, the concept of a, the form factor can be anything. And we're going to see a lot more special purpose appliances, but a lot more innovative form factors of how we interact with the mobile world. Indeed. No, I think that's great. And certainly we've seen tremendous leadership out of Samsung as it relates to that ubiquity and the delight to use. And I think that's a really important note that you made as well, Nick. Ease of use and then also just how the experience can then extend across a whole variety of different environments. And yeah. when you think about how you've, Samsung's also been able to really carve out a position for the desktop in the sense of using mobility for your desktop experience is pretty impressive. Yeah. And it can be in a number of different ways. And I mean, it's not just Samsung that does this. We do this with partners. I know we'll talk a little bit about this, but, you know, the ability to take content that I'm working on or viewing, you know, creating or consuming on one screen and then immediately flip it over to another screen, have it accessible in real time somewhere else, depending on the environment I'm in, you know, whether I'm in the office, at home, moving, not moving, et cetera. And then, yeah, as I pointed out, and you you were reminding me, you know, my phone is more powerful than my laptop. I actually just plug my phone into a monitor and I have a full desktop experience. I don't just explode the screen. It's a full desktop metaphor, right? Mouse click, mouse support, multiple windows, drag and drop. You know, we can run all of this off of a little piece of glass and silicon that sits in our pocket. Indeed, good point, exactly. Well, let's shift a little bit from the customer experience to a little uh, talking about a much broader uh, topic, which is the current geopolitical situation and, and how that's impacting or challenging or benefiting Samsung and the company's approach to the market. I'd be interested in your perspective on this. And, you know, there are always a number of folks with different opinions and perspectives. What's your sense in terms of what's what's happening out there and how is Samsung surging forward? Yeah. And I mean, obviously, listen, Samsung headquarters is in South Korea, but I mean, it's very much a global company. We have R&D centers around the world, 360,000 plus employees around the world and things like that. So any shift in the global political or economic climate obviously impacts us regardless of where it is. I think if we look at some macro elements that are out there today, obviously the rise of China as an economic power has, has been interesting for us to follow. When you are in South Korea, which has moved from what, let's be honest about it, 20 years ago was a fast follower in the industry, right? right? Was essentially looking at what other people were building and trying to replicate that perhaps quicker, perhaps less costly, variety of reasons to do it, but has now absolutely moved to the innovation forefront. So for example, and this is just with my Samsung hat on, you know, Samsung was number one in the world in the US and the EU in patents issued last year, number one company, took over that top spot from IBM. And we flip-flopped with IBM for a few years on that between one and two. It is an innovation hub now. Absolutely a lot of great stuff comes out of there and not just in our own products, but in the components that we also sell to other equipment manufacturers and things like that as well. As with the rise of China, they are in that still fast follower phase to a great deal, but their innovation wave will begin and it will begin soon. And it's actually very interesting because the geopolitical climate that is out there and the trade war, for lack of a better way of putting it, led by the US and China as obviously impacting supply chains, impacting innovation cycles with some of our partners slash competitors in, in China. And that's been very, very interesting to watch. It hasn't necessarily had a major impact on our business at Samsung. We control our own supply chain globally. We manufacture most things in-house, and so we're okay. But it is interesting to see what it's doing to the market. 
It's also interesting to see that fear that is out there, particularly with government, very large and savvy enterprise customers in the world about the provenance of their technology. We talk a lot in the world, whether it's enterprise or the consumer side. You know me, Greg, I've talked about security most of my life, and it's not the most exciting topic on earth, but really it comes <laughs> good down at a cocktail to, party. Yeah, exactly. As you've heard me say many times, you know, it's not going to make you any new friends at cocktail parties. And I've, tr- I've tried. I've tried. They kick me out of home yes. and they send me to Korea. But um, really, it's the anchor point, though, for what does matter to people, yes. which is trust, which is privacy, those, those issues. I mean, they're all rooted in security. There are an awful lot of people in the geopolitical climate has bringing this to the forefront in a lot of discussions we have with customers about the provenance of their technology. Not just, you know, where is the data that I'm sending and transacting in a mobile space going, where is the cloud? Where are the networks? What is that? Where was my equipment manufactured? Who had access to it? What Mm -hmm. is the delivery chain? Has it been tampered with? Things like that. That is actually evolving into a fair number of our discussions these days. And it's becoming a key pillar of our discussions with customers, particularly in the government, like I said, large, large enterprise space or people with very sensitive information, intellectual property, customer data, things like that, that needs to be by regulation protected. They're concerned about this. Indeed, all very important points for customers and prospects and stakeholders to consider. That's just a great, you know, these those are great points, Nick, and very well received. Just an incredible commentary and so real, you know, relative what's going on in today's environment. So thanks for that. Appreciate it. Hey, you know, Nick, together we've established a number of key strategic partnerships in the past. We have a lot that we can look back on and and with a lot of pride. And it'd be interesting just to get your perspective on strategic partnerships as we go into this next segment of our podcast. And I'd like to get a sense from you in terms of the role that partnerships do play for Samsung. I'd like to get your perspective on that. And let's get into some examples as well as we go through your, your response and your perspective. Oh, yeah. The partnerships are massive for us. They're incredibly important. We wouldn't be able to do what we do without partnerships. And listen, it may sound like, you know, a throwaway talking point because it's the right thing to say, but but it is absolutely 100% true. We're really, really good at a lot of things at Samsung. Good at so many different things. And when I say we, you know, not me personally, but the people actually know what they're doing. Um, <laughs> oh, so you have, do, you have yeah, a good yeah. idea. <laughs> there we go. But we do what we do really, really well, but we can't do everything, right? And as the world's largest, arguably, technology mm-hmm. company, but certainly hardware manufacturer when it comes to electronics, be it the components, finished product, not just phones and tablets, but computers, Chromebooks, TVs, appliances. I mean, we dominate the global market in most categories, in almost every single one of them. We do that part really, really well. And I think it's, it goes back to what I said before to use the same phrasing. Nobody buys a collection of glass and silicon just to carry it around in their pocket, right? They're running their businesses. They're running their lives, you know, personal experiences off of these things. And it comes down to the solutions and services that you use. Greg, you and I had a former boss who I won't name, but he had a saying that what we're doing with what we call a smartphone today, it's essentially just the input-output layer, right? It's a radio and it's an input-output layer to the things that you're doing. That's where we need partnerships. We create a lot of experiences and a lot of services ourselves internally at Samsung, but there's absolutely no way. And we're not specialists at so many different areas. And that's where we love to engage with partners. We believe in open systems, open standards. We believe in collaboration. We preach this to people every day. It's one of the reasons why we use Android as the operating system of choice on, for example, our mobile devices, because it's open, because it has open standards and it's collaborative. But there's a way to do it securely. 
right? There's a way to expose flexibility to our customers and our partners, but to do it in a very, very secure way. And that's our differentiation, I think, at Samsung. And that's one of the things that I'm, as, as you know, that I'm deeply involved in. And it comes down to our Knox platform that right. we embed in the devices during the design and manufacturing process, devices manufactured in our own facilities. We embed a platform that on the one hand addresses security and on the other hand addresses flexibility management being able to tailor devices for bespoke experiences and things like that. So there's a way to do this well. And what we love to do is work with partners, big and small, some of the biggest names in the industry, and then some people that, frankly, very few people have heard of, but that might have something really, really critical that our customers are interested in. How can we take that partner solution, service, and with our platform, make it better? for our mutual customers. Is there something we can do to make it either more secure, more flexible, provide some added value? And that's important for me from a business perspective so that I'm not just selling another rectangle of metal and glass that looks just like the other guys, right? I need something that's a little bit different. And so we've invested heavily in the platform that enables the depth of partnership that I think we're all looking for. Indeed. Indeed. That's great. Are you able to share just some examples, uh, obviously publicly available in terms of some successful partnerships that you're particularly proud of or that you've observed at Samsung's yeah. established? We could point to some of the big names. I mean, obviously we're partners with Google. We use our operating system, but it's not just about the OS and Microsoft, IBM, big players in the industry, as you would expect us to be. But, you know, without necessarily getting into specific names, because sometimes we might have three, four partners in the same area and you always hesitate to name one and the risk of offending the others. But maybe if we talk about some of the spaces instead where it might be interesting. So I'll give you a story, a discussion that we had at the strategic level. Oh, I don't know. It probably started maybe three years ago or something. And we were looking at this emerging space that is now called mobile threat defense. I don't know who coined the term. I think it might have been Gartner, actually, you know, when they put out their quadrants and their report, they call it mobile threat defense. Perfectly named, by the way, because anyone is going to sit there and say, oh, I need me some of that. Yes. (laughs) So we were looking at this and listen, mobile threat defense is where I have a platform on the device that guarantees the integrity of that device, the endpoint and protects it at all times. Mobile threat defense is a little bit more about trying to extend the protection envelope out away from the device to prevent things from even getting to it or starting to run on the device. So not defend after the fact, but proactively a little bit. So they use algorithms, they check provenance of data packets, they do a lot of AI-driven magic to determine if there might be a threat to the user or to the device, and then hopefully invoke some sort of remediation action block a service, turn something off, whatever it may be. And we realized, well, we could build something. We're big in security, actually. We could build something to do this. And we thought about it. We talked about it. And for a variety of reasons, I said, look, instead of building our own, this is ridiculous and competing with an ecosystem of partners. Why don't we just create things at the platform level that our partners can use so that we have a better story together on Samsung devices versus any other either mobile OS or OEM, original equipment manufacturer. So that's an area where we did something. And that's actually very illustrative of the type of partnership that we do at all times. It's the type of partnership we do at Trustonic, right? Is exactly the same thing. We have some core capabilities at the platform level, and it's not about people's data. I don't want to see that. I don't want to be responsible for it. 
It's about contextual information, what's happening on the device. Have we deviated from a standard pattern of use, a trusted baseline? And if so, what are we going to do? Mm -hmm. And that's where we go out to our partner community and work very closely with them. That's just one example among, you know, zillions. I could go into some other areas where we've done some really, really custom work with partners. A lot of times people don't realize that they're interacting with a Samsung device. We work with auto manufacturers for the screens that go in the dashboards and the systems that drive behind those. You know, that's custom work. That's us taking our platform and configuring screens, tool sets, creating custom versions of operating system of the operating system so that those appliances do some very specific things on what they're supposed to do. We do this in the auto sector. We do it in aviation for in-flight entertainment. We do it in military and government as well. Everybody needs, many of these different sectors around the world need something very specific and somewhat niche. And it used to be that you had to go out and spend vast sums of money to buy products that were purpose-built for that market. Nowadays, certainly with Samsung, we have the tools and the platform where you can take existing off-the-shelf hardware, but completely tailor it and customize it for whatever use case you need. And we do that with partners, be they software solution providers, system integrators, down the line, up and down the line. Yeah, that's a, it's an incredible experience. And to be in a, in a situation as, as you are, where you have the ability to have complete and integrated solutions with partners, I think is most impressive, but it's also highly um, interesting to, again, to prospects and existing customers and stakeholders out there who are contemplating a Samsung-based solution. Really impressive. You know, Nick, I know we'll have a lot of folks listening in into this podcast as well who will be wondering about, hey, there's this wonderful brand in Samsung and we've got some incredible technology or we have a great service. We'd love to be able to meet with Samsung and talk to Samsung about a potential partnership. It often is quite daunting just because of how large the organization is and how complex. What would be your high level advice to a partner who, or a potential partner, I should say, who's interested in collaborating with with Samsung? Just some easy wins in the short term for them as they're yeah. And it is, and it is. As as, as you know, I mean, it's a big beast. I mean, it's bigger than a lot of governments out there in terms of staffing and the markets that we touch and everything. It's hard for people. I get that. Listen, as you know well, sometimes it's even difficult for us on the inside if we have to go somewhere too far afield. But I would say a couple of things. And and the first thing I would say is actually not how to get in touch, but it's more think about the value, right? As people go out there and they come up, and this is something, you know, when I talk, you know, we have a VC arm, venture capital arm, they're called Samsung next. My friends over there, you know, and this one of the things when I talk to some of their prospective clients, for lack of a better way of putting it, I say, listen, you need to think about the value. When you think about the value of your idea, your solution, your whatever it may be for a customer, if you want to partner with a Samsung or frankly with any large company, what is the value you're going to bring to that company as well? At the end of the day, look, we're all very nice people, but you know, we have performance metrics that are usually centered around dollars and euros and, and things like that. Is there something we can do? And as as I've been talking about, we have some embedded things in our devices, this Knox platform that allows us to take something that exists and runs on anything, right? Any operating system, any, any other device. But I might be able to work with you to do something that is different, right? And that is better for Samsung. Where that helps these prospective partners is as soon as it does something different on Samsung, our sales teams are much more incented, you know, automatically to go out and push that solution, to mention it to people, to highlight it as a capability set that we jointly bring. Because 
that that differentiated capability on our devices is going to lead that prospective customer, not just to that other software solution, perhaps, but to buy it with our hardware, which they're perfectly happy to buy anyways, because yes. of some of the industry leading stuff out there. But sometimes there's a choice, you know, I can get mm-hmm. option A, I can get option B. And frankly, if they on the surface do the same thing, but option B is cheaper, I'll go with option B. But if option A actually has some different capabilities, now it's a different story. So that's my first piece of advice. Approach us with the thought of how can we work to do something different. The other thing I would say, and listen, especially on the enterprise or the B2B side of things, it's actually a little easier to get in touch with us. We we have a website where you can do this, and it's actually linked to this Knox platform in naming and stuff, and it's actually samsungnox.com. You can just go there. Anybody can go there, and there's an area for partners, and you can send in a request, and it actually comes into my team, and we'll get somebody local country level, wherever you are, to get in touch and start working through you. So they're working with you. And, you know, it eventually it all comes back to my team in HQ. Now, listen, if somebody knows me, give me a call like you would, Greg. But, uh, you know, for anybody else out there, yeah, Samsung Knox, all one word. And that's uh, Samsung and then Knox is K-N-O-X, like Fort Knox in, in Kentucky, U.S., where they used to keep gold when they had money. <laughs> that's uh, right. Just go there. And that's for the enterprise side. Now, if you have something on the consumer side, Ooh, you know what? I don't actually have an answer to the question. Uh, yeah. There's probably something we could find. You can always try to ask us at the website. I just told you, we might tell you. We might look it up for you if we're feeling in a good mood that day. Yeah, exactly. And we have so many examples of being able to approach the B2B team as an example and, and seeing just tremendous success there without a doubt. And I think another key point, as you mentioned, was the fact that there's a tremendous group of salespeople out there with Samsung representing obviously the complete solution set. And when there is a partner who's in a strong position to be able to complement the solution offering that Samsung has to provide into the marketplace, then those salespeople are definitely incented and driven to highlight, promote, and obviously position. So it's, it was a great yeah. suggestion yeah. as well. And actually to say that we're actually even in the process right now of shifting our focus a little bit more towards that solution sale, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to just, hey, listen, we've got a new phone and it comes in these eight colors and yes. this is how many megapixels and stuff to actually lead with the solution story, the, the capability set. This is what we can do. And then we love to give examples. And, you know, when we talk about because we tell people, we don't do it all our own, we do it with partner. And if they say, well, I'm interested in a solution that does X, we can say, okay, well, this is what we bring to the table. And these are our partners that do X with us, right? And of right. course, we're going to highlight the ones that are part of our partner program and that have some differentiated capabilities on our hardware. And yeah, we have the bandwidth and the scale mm-hmm. out there with an army of salespeople and then our channels and our resellers and things like that. That's pretty impressive. It sure is. It sure is. Well, that's a great segue to talk a little bit about the partnership that we established earlier this year. So Trustonic and Samsung establishing a strategic partnership. And it would be great to get your perspective and, and input on the Trustonic platform capabilities. And then back to that point on Knox, how, how it complements uh, Knox. Let's delve into this. It, it was certainly something that we're very proud of. And I think it's great to see the progress there in terms of that key and strategic partnership. Yeah. And I mean, we are too, you know, and as you know, because, you know, you guys chat with my team, I guess, probably on a daily basis about mm. this. Yeah. And and I think it's worked out well for everybody, most importantly for our mutual customers, what we're doing yes. together to the benefit of everybody in, in the equation, Trustonic, Samsung, and then, you know, primarily our finance and our operator partners with, with where we intersect and what we do. The thing that interested us a lot is, again, at that core Knox platform level, we had certain capabilities on the device to be able to do things, right? 
we can, and it goes back a little bit to the example I was giving earlier with mobile threat defense, where they're detecting a threat, but then they can invoke certain actions courtesy of our platform. They're actions that may not exist or be available on other devices or other platforms. It's somewhat similar notionally to what we did with Trustonic. We have certain capabilities in our platform that when utilized and invoked, again, in a secure manner, in a licensed manner, allow us to jointly go to market, do something interesting. I think what really interested us here as well, we're very, very good at building for Samsung, right? Now, by default, that means we're building for Android, but, you know, we build for Samsung. You know, what our team does in software and service is, you know, primarily and traditionally focused on how does it help the totality of our business? The reality in the world and lightning bolts may come down from the ceiling. I am actually in the office here in our in our Europe headquarters right now. Uh, the lightning bolts may See. come down from, from the ceiling <laughs> when I say this. But the reality of the world, not everybody on earth is 100% Samsung in their environment, right? And so that ability to grow cross-platform, and that is one of the areas where we absolutely is critical for us to have partners, has, has traditionally been critical for us. Because I don't have a solution that's going to address, you know, other operating systems that shall remain nameless, less right. the lightning bolts do actually come down yeah, from the yeah, ceiling yeah. and things like that, right? But yes. you do. Also, look, we're specialists in our area, but you know, there's a lot of areas where we're more jack of all trades, masters of none. We can't be specialists in everything. So you are specialists in a particular area that intersected very squarely with what we need to do. And it mm-hmm. comes down to being able to guarantee our mutual customers the asset protection and the trust that should something go wrong, whatever that something wrong may be, their assets are protected. And it's about mitigation of financial risk for Mm -hmm. our mutual customers, being operators, carriers, finance companies, and things like that. You specialize in that. I specialize in creating things that are different and unique and together being able to bring those two things, those two visions together to be able to provide your solution working ubiquitously across any platform. But for me to be able to say, hey, it does these extra cool things on my devices, that serves both of our purposes and most importantly, like I said, our customer's purpose. So we don't do multi-platform very well. We try sometimes and we'll get better at it because, you know, we're Samsung. So I think we both helped make each other better in this particular case. And uh, yeah. it's been working out really, really well. Feedback that I think we're, you're getting and I'm getting from various markets globally around the world has been astoundingly positive. And all of this, by the way, sometimes these things sound like they might cost a lot of money. Frankly, not really, right? Cost right. almost pittance to the end customer at the end mm-hmm. of the day. So everybody exactly. wins. Yeah, and it's a another great example, Nick, as you mentioned, whether it's cross-platform or multi-platform, to see that leadership from Samsung. It demonstrates both a confidence, a direction, but it also demonstrates that the logical extension is ultimately to a Samsung because providing that access and that recognition as folks do their due diligence, then all tides raise all boats. And mm-hmm. so this is a great opportunity, I think, that Samsung has recognized and, and certainly... That's that's leadership, if you ask me. Oh, thanks. I'm gonna write that down. I'm gonna ask somebody <laughs> for a raise. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, hey. So we talked about partnerships and 
I'd love to get your perspective on markets and the possibilities ahead. And, you know, what markets are you seeing these days that you're particularly interested in and, you know, exciting changes and dynamics that are happening there? As you and I both have been responsible historically for global deployments, we have pretty interesting view to the world, don't we? And, and I'd, so I'd love to get your perspective on what you're seeing some really cool markets. You know, obviously we talked a bit about China as an example, but what are you, what are you seeing out there and what's what's exciting you? Yeah, I mean, I think if we look at it you know, on a regional basis, just as a, as a quick overview summary, I mean, one of the first things, I mean, you know, it's close to home for me uh, living in Seoul and, and I know close to home for you as well. You spent a lot of your career over in, in Asia PAC and responsible mm. for that these days as well. You know, it's it's been perhaps slower than both you and I might have expected if we go back 15, 20 years uh, yes. in this game. Yes. But the enterprise, that B2B space is, is really maturing in Asia and, and not just from a technology perspective perspective. Part of it is just some of the, the fundamental policy making and constructs of how business is done. It just feels, it's, it's hard for me to pinpoint any one specific example, but it's just maturing a little bit. I mean, look, Asia's different, right? It's a massive market. It's a world in and of its own. And frankly, to anybody from the, I'm using the air quotes here, Western world, yeah. who still lives under the illusion that they're the thought leaders at the pointy end of the stick and the beginning of the waves on things. I urge you, come and have a look at what's going on in Asia, because frankly, they are in many cases, certainly when it comes to the use of technology, light years ahead of what you're seeing in Europe and certainly back home in North America for me, for you, Greg. We're seeing enterprise mature. We're seeing it grow in different directions. And actually, this is something coming back to you. One of your first questions about the geopolitical environment that's interesting. Mm -hmm. As we see this bit of freezing out, of China and its ecosystem a little bit. And, and let's see what happens with that as we go forth into a new administration in Washington and over the next few years. But as we see that, we're actually seeing a technology stream and an internet path that is starting to diverge from the rest of the world. They're building their own systems. You know, again, if we come from the West, you know, people talk about Amazon. Amazon doesn't even make a top 10 list, you know, <laughs> when you compare the Chinese giants in that space on it, things like that. You've seen this divergence. Asia is really, really interesting. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of money being made, and it's boom town. It's booming growth. Uh, so that's great. The maturity of, of the B2B side of the business is finally there, you know, at scale, like you and I would have expected a long time ago. That's one interesting thing we're seeing. Listen, Europe is actually doing really, really well. The business is good and it's strong across Europe as well. And one of the interesting things with Europe as we go into a hopefully soon post-COVID world, you know, and, and wait for the next disaster because there's always something coming around the corner, the right? Horizon. Prepare for it. Europe is really already forging ahead on economic recovery plans, what they're going to do, big infrastructure projects. Infrastructure these days doesn't just mean bridges, roads, and tunnels and trains. Uh, it means digital as well, right? Well, I think yes. we all accept that. So they have already very aggressively, as we speak, putting the final touches on plans and they're growing and they're growing quickly. And again, sort of leapfrogging ahead and leaving that shadow a little bit that's been cast by the Transatlantic Alliance as America has been struggling a little bit more and has been more impacted this year. That's one interesting thing. Another interesting um, market is really in the, for us actually, this is coming to Samsung specifically, is in the rugged space. Mm -hmm. Look, we build a lot of stuff and, you know, my phone is certainly not something you'd call rugged. If I drop it, something on it will likely crack. There's a lot of glass and fragile components on it. And I put a case on it, but uh, still the rugged space, we're seeing mobility trend 
out now as it's become ubiquitous, like we said before, it's now to the point where every worker, be you in an office, in a warehouse, on a truck, wherever it is, has access to mobile technology. And increasingly, people are moving away from the purpose-built devices that can be very, very, very costly to, again, come to a manufacturer like Samsung, where I will give you the exact same capability, user experience, look, feel that you get on one of our high-end smartphones, but I'll give it to you in a rugged device that is built for your environment that will you know, exist to minus 70 degrees Celsius and plus 70 Celsius that can go underwater to three meters that you can throw against a wall, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of business possibilities in that space. And it is evolving quickly. It's shifting from its earliest forays into mobility where, you know, the delivery guy would show up at your door from FedEx or UPS or DHL or whatever with this giant brick of a device with a bunch of buttons on it. You know, now they show up with a smartphone that is far more capable and useful. These are some of the markets and possibilities that we're seeing. But Asia, booming. Europe, looking pretty good. North America is struggling right now. I mean, it just is for for obvious reasons. We see the numbers. It'll come back, of course. But yeah, and a push into rugged as mobility itself and technology evolves a little bit more and becomes more um, accessible. Very, very interesting. What about access to the higher end devices, Nick? So you think about, of course, the whole array of diverse markets across the globe, but with the appeal of the higher end Samsung devices as well, and recognizing Samsung offers a, a, an incredible array that can appeal to any yeah. market segment. But what are you seeing in terms of, say, for, for example, the device financing and going yeah, up? Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, and that's, that's exactly where, you know, we've, we work together with Trustonic and we've had a lot of conversations about this. And of course it was a challenge for us, right? I mean, we sell globally in just about every market in the world. There are a couple of countries you're not allowed to, but you know, outside (laughs) of that. Yeah, we do make, uh, I, t- I, t- I sometimes say we make devices of all shapes, sizes, and colors. It's not true. Uh, we make all colors, but the shapes are all rectangles. The, uh, right. if, you, if you want a pink triangular device, we'll make one. Order starts at 25 million units or something like that. <laughs> but, no, but one of the challenges as we get into some of these, you know, emerging market, as we tend to call them, you know, in places where, look, a thousand euro or thousand dollar smartphone is just not going to fly, right? The economics are not there. Obviously, we build some devices that are sort of, you know, on the more affordable end of the price scale as well. And we don't always offer every single model in every single market either. So we time it well and we, we segment the market reasonably well. But obviously, we would like to get to people into the higher end devices for a couple of reasons. Listen, if I'm going to be honest about it, we probably make a bit more money off of a higher end device than a low end device. There's a bit less competition at the high end for us too. So we can make a little bit more money, but really it's also, we want to be able to give people the experience of a high end device, right? And that, because I mean, that's really what it comes down to is we love to delight our customers with wonderful experiences. So how do we get people into a high end device in a market that doesn't necessarily always do it? Well, this is where financing comes. It's the same. Look, Greg, you and I go out and buy a car. Odds are we're probably going to finance part of the vehicle. You know, you might be able to buy the whole thing, but odds are, you know, if you're going to buy a house, certainly, right? You're not going to pay cash for it. You're going to get a mortgage. Kind of the same notion here, right? I mean, fundamentally the same notion with a higher end device. I mean, a smartphone is something that you're probably going to use, especially in some of these emerging markets. And you put the investment in, it's going to last you a few years. So you finance it. But then the problem comes in is somebody shows up, they finance a device, they sign all the paperwork, they leave the store, and then they disappear. They're Mm. gone. 
right? You never see these people again. They find ways on the black market, the gray market, this, that, and the other to wipe the devices, to get them removed from the network, to hack into them, to do things. Uh, they've given you some fake names or whatever may happen out there. Whatever, the world, yes. Right? Whatever it is. And they disappear. <laughs> use your imagination. So use your imagination. And probably, yeah, watch a movie. I'm sure somebody will come up with something. So the idea then, of course, is, all right, well, you know, I want to sell this high-end device, but these guys are just going to run out the store and I'm going to lose. And and literally the theft ratio on this, you know, and as you move up the value chain becomes a higher and higher as a percentage. So being able to put that asset protection piece in place so that if you are the finance company or the network operator or the reseller, whoever it may be in the equation that actually technically owns the device because they're the ones who paid for it until it's paid off by the customer, how do I protect it? So we have devised a very secure completely unobtrusive way of providing that level of protection to our customers, right? So it has absolutely zero impact on the end user of the device. And if they are on the up and up and not doing anything wrong, they go on with their merry lives as is with no interference and nobody's spying on them or doing anything weird like that. But if the device, for example, doesn't get paid for, and if the reminder is sent, and it's like nobody's answering and this, that, and the other, then the ability at a distance to be able to disable it, for example, to do certain things, to be able to take over the screen for a period of time, to be able to block access to certain non-critical things. You wouldn't block access to an emergency services network, but you know what? Hey, you can't use the internet until you pay me, whatever it may be, right? And so to be able to give that leverage point to our customers so yes. that they can then move their customers in turn up the value chain. And that's where Trustonic and Samsung work very closely and we're very proud of the solution. And it's working well. It's working well for everybody out there because our mutual partners are able to get people up the value chain on the hardware level, the device level. The customers are happy because they can finally get into the Ferrari of phones as opposed to a Lada. Yes, and, yes. Uh, something like that. No offense to Lada. Happy. No offense to Lada. I was trying to pick someone who might be out of business so by now so it's not to offend anyone yeah you know so it's worked out really really well and again this is where partnerships come into play indeed indeed well that's that's great and let's look forward now and it's interesting as as i was thinking about your crystal ball and you know i want to just sort of quickly share when i think forward it's just amazing you think about the world of automotive as an example and you touched a little bit on that but imagine that the smartphone on wheels yeah oh yeah what's your perspective maybe from a consumer perspective looking forward uh, you know samsung that crystal ball you you talked earlier a little bit about form factors which is just incredible you yeah. think about it. But what else? What are you thinking that's on the horizon? Yeah, there's a story and it. it's not just on the horizon. It's happening now. You know, it was on the horizon when we started talking about it a few years ago, but we're in the middle of it now. But I'm not sure that everybody's aware that we're in the middle of it happening. Mm. And it's actually, if you give me a couple minutes, it's a story that starts with 5G. All right. So 5G networks. The reason for this starts with 5G is because 5G does a lot of things for us. First of all, it gives us incredible speed and capacity on the network. That's great. Wonderful. I can download my Netflix movie in three seconds now instead of one minute and, and literally on 5G on my phone at home in Korea. I can't. So there's there's that. Is that a game changer in and of itself? Not necessarily. What is a game changer, though, is 5G removes delays on the network. So there's something in there, network technology, mobile networks, any network that we call latency. And it's the slight delay between when you send something and it round trips and comes back and makes it to its destination. And it's in microseconds typically, but it's a delay. It's been the missing ingredient 
in what we call IoT. Now, I know the Internet of Things, people have been talking about that since the time of the dinosaurs, right? Yes, but they the have. Miss, the missing ingredient, <laughs> IoT, has been 5G because IoT in and of itself is dependent on the ability to communicate in real time device to device, right? Not the hub and spoke model that we're used to. Not the hub and spoke model of the cloud, by the way, which is I do something on a device, it sends it to a cloud, I can then get access it from another device connected to that cloud. But my device can talk to the device next to it or on the other side of the planet directly. It doesn't have to go through another system. It can still send information to the other system simultaneously, but it doesn't have to. The key here is getting rid of the delay on the network. And the example I always use is actually automotive and smart city grids, because this is the sexy part of the story, right? Is when people start talking about, you know, this Star Trek slash Jetsons world, smart city grids and this, that, and the other. If you imagine a vehicle, and I'm not even talking about a self-driving vehicle, I'm talking about something that's got, you know, but enough AI in it and, and various sensors that it is designed to interact with other vehicles around it and designed to interact with a grid of sensors and capabilities that's provided as core infrastructure at the city level around it, then it has to be able to communicate all of these tools, sensors, form factors need to be able to communicate with one another in real time. 5G gets rid of the delay on the network, finally opens us up to being able to create all of these connected endpoints and sensors that we've been talking about, again, since the time of the dinosaurs. This is where we're going to see form factors. And we are going to see things. There are going to be sensors in basements, underneath the hood of your car, on top of light poles. Some of them will have screens. Some of them won't. Some right. of them will be this. Some of them will be that. Some of them will be very special purpose things. Most of it, you won't even realize is there. Gartner did a study. I'm going to say it was two, three years ago now, at least not much older than that. They said that by the year, I think it was 2020, 2021, somewhere around where we are now, we would be in a world with about 25 billion connected endpoints. And at the time we had only a few, we're already almost there, right? We're almost there. Your phone is a connected endpoint, your laptop, right. your TV yeah. probably is. Frankly, if you have a Samsung fridge, it may well be a connected endpoint because you can you know, connect it to the internet. That's a whole other story why you'd want to do that. Not my yes. problem. Yeah. But the point is, is we got all of these things out there, these connected endpoints, and that's really the future. And it's going to get us to this world where it's ubiquitous on-demand information access. The cool stuff that happens in this 5G begets IoT and different form factors at scale, such as city grids and other things, that then leads to the rise of AI artificial intelligence, because we are creating already so much data that we just cannot deal with it. Certainly not as humans, but even with the systems that we have in place historically, they cannot deal with all this data. AI is our friend here. And I'm not talking about the killer robots with red eyes that come and shoot you. Not that AI. But, you know, I'm talking about algorithms that are there as initially probably decision support tools. Hey, we've detected something that deviates from a baseline. It's an anomaly. Contextual awareness about environments then notifying a human or invoking an action in certain cases always can be overridden by a human. The rise of AI algorithms to help us manage this world is incredibly important, and they all go hand in hand together. Yeah. It's a story that just flows naturally. That's what we're moving toward. That's we're doing it now. And from my perspective, be it a phone, 
be it a laptop or be it the sensor underneath the hood of your car. That's a connected endpoint on the network. It's a gateway to everything else on that network, and it needs to be protected. It needs to be secured. You need to know where was it built, who had access to it. What can we do with this thing? If you've got a sensor that somebody hacks into and injects one false bit of data into it that runs your smart city grid, you can have some catastrophic downstream repercussions. So those are the things that keep me awake at night, by the way, but that's the future. That's where we're going. You got it. It's so refreshing to hear that, Nick. Of course, in years past, any kind of crystal ball or vision in this space would have been, well, we're going to have, you know, enhanced camera on our smartphone. So the- Yeah, we'll have that too. Yeah, 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 that too. But of course, the world has changed so significantly and, and your wow. perspective on the road ahead, pun intended, is certainly very refreshing. And I think, as you said, safety and security is at core yeah. as well is certainly very important to the user experience and then to the u- ubiquity of that of that experience. So it's just an yeah. incredible yeah. example. Yeah. And, and you know what? Some of it may sound scary and complicated. One of the key final points I'd make on it is there's a way to do things where you abstract the complexity away from the end user and, and the consumer of whatever a service or solution may be. I, I think actually in the mobility industry, and like we said, Greg, you and I have been in, been in this game a fair amount of time. In the mobility industry, one of the things that we have collectively done, it's not just a Samsung thing, but collectively done anybody in mobility, we've done a good job over the past, oh, five, 10 years of abstracting complexity away from the end user and putting it in the IT department where they're specialists and they know what they're doing. And I'm talking about simple things like, look, when you and I were given our first devices that would now be called a smartphone and we had to set them up, right? You'd get, <laughs> you'd get a note, and you'd say, okay, go to this website, download this application, then change this password, then do that, download it. Invariably, something goes wrong. It's a 20-step process to get yourself set up. Just you know, using that as an example, that's gone now, right? That's completely gone. We have customers, they literally never, IT never even sees the devices. They're configured, applications are populated, Wi-Fi networks are already in there, proxy servers are list. Everything is done, right? And they literally, when the device is first turned on, and it just sucks this data down from their systems and provisions the devices. We've abstracted the complexity, put it into IT. But one of the next waves of complexity abstraction, it comes back to AI again, is taking some of that complexity away from them. Because look, nobody went to school, spent all that money and really got into this stuff so that they could work on a help desk, you know, and things. It's no offense to the guys that do, but these are valuable human resources. These are people who are capable of thinking, right? Um, As opposed to an AI system that today may just be able to monitor and take over certain routine tasks. That's where AI is really that decision support tool and a friend. And it frees up the people in an organization to actually create value and do new things to dream up the next phase of stuff. So, you know, just from a purely very simple nuts and bolts productivity perspective, we're seeing this shift, you know, abstract complexity from the user to IT and now from IT to AI as well. Indeed, indeed. That's great. Well, thank you, Nick, for that perspective. Really appreciate it. And folks, we've spent an amazing time with Nick Dawson, who is director and global B2B head of solution sales at Samsung Electronics. And we've covered amazing topics around global mobile trends, partnerships, markets, and possibilities. And and very recently here, we just talked about that crystal ball and future looking perspective, which was just, as I said, Nick, very refreshing and, and just incredible. For those of you who are listening into this podcast, if you have a perspective on what's been shared with you, please don't forget to like, comment, and share. We really do want to hear from you, and we'd love to get your perspective out there into the industry, into your networks, as we learn more and more about all these incredible spaces within mobility, 
device financing, all these incredible markets that Nick and I discussed. And of course, the realm and the importance of strategic partnerships. Again, please remember to like, comment, and share. Once again, I'm Gregory Wade with Trustonic. Thanks for joining us today. Nick, thank you very much for sharing your time and your insights with us. Oh, absolute pleasure. Anytime. And thank you everybody for following along and thanks for the invite.